Hello, and welcome to the How Fitting podcast, where you get to hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Crystal Cave of Poppy Row. So Crystal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I, every time people ask me this, I'm always like, where do I start? But <laughs> the long story short is I was a celebrity stylist turned um, personal style online style school entrepreneur. And through that, I started my clothing brand, Poppy Row. Poppy Row um, was founded upon my principles within my styling um, background, that great style has no size. And it is a size inclusive modular clothing brand, meaning all the pieces mix and match, um, made from eucalyptus and recycled materials. We have a big emphasis on domestic um, production, ethical production, um, but it really first and foremost did start from my passion for size inclusivity. So we started out sizes two to, two to 28 and we are now expanding up to size 40 actually. Um, and I mean, that's kind of like the quick, if we were in an elevator blurb of <laughs> who I am and what I do, so much more to that, but um, yeah. We'll That's have to dive into a little more, but yes, there's so much there. I know. <laughs> so you, you came from a styling background. So what made you jump into the apparel brand side of things as opposed to just the styling side? Yeah. So I actually grew up in retail. My grandfather had a large entertainment retailer, um, which still exists. We no longer own it, but um, I always grew up saying, I want to be like Poppy. I would see him up in these corporate meetings and he would bring me into the stores. At one point we had over a thousand stores across the United States. And I literally got to learn about retail and fall, fall in love with it. I think in the way that my Poppy always did, like loved it so much. He he was the one that like had that awful phrase, which I think can send you in the wrong direction. Like if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Like he's <laughs> who you talk about mm-hmm. when you say that phrase. And he always said that to me when I was younger. And, you know, I actually started out working in advertising, um, in marketing and also consumer facing after um, doing a lot of stuff actually with my family's company while I was in high school and college. Um, I probably had more experience coming out of college than most people <laughs> have their first couple years outside of college. Um, and even that's like beyond just like internships and projects I would take on. Um, and so I kind of always, when I was 13, I like wanted to go to design school, but I decided to go like the practical route and go to business school. And then I got a master's in advertising. And so here I am, I ended up on Madison Avenue, like um, working in advertising and then working um, in marketing for a developer and not loving it. And so I like had this, my secret dream career at the time would be to be like Rachel Zoe, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be like Rachel Zoe before everybody knew who she was, honestly. Um, and I loved that she was a stylist and then she also had her clothing brand. And so I think you know, I, I started working, I like got to work with Taylor Swift and like for all these like top brands. And it was honestly like the most magical time of my life, but I realized that that wasn't the life I wanted. I didn't want to be working like 16 hour days on set 
and not have that flexibility when I was looking at like the larger picture of my life. And so Mm -hmm. I had started this online style school and I just had this sinking feeling every time it was focused on at the time I called it not so skinny style school. And so it was focused on the not so skinny woman, which kind of became a replacement term for plus size. And so a couple years into running it, it was pretty successful. And I was just like realizing that I was helping people band-aid their styling instead of like there, I just realized there was a flaw in how the industry was. And especially women who are in the in-between, which has been me actually (laughs) most of my life, I guess we teach what we need to learn. We're really having trouble finding, um, just basic pieces that they needed in their wardrobe. And I like, I didn't have one brand I could send people to. It was really frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I decided to go to design school and uh, I ended up doing a program in Italy almost five years ago. And um, I spent the summer there. I I called it kind of my like eat, pray, like love, but like eat, pray, design (laughs) part of my life. And that kind of set in motion what has now turned into Poppy Row. Um, I I think like the biggest thing was just like realizing like I really wanted to be the change in the industry instead of just being okay with what was given to us and how the industry was running at the time. I think there's been so many strides that have been moving, especially the plus size side of it forward. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion because I was using size inclusivity as a term before plus size brands were using it as a term, which I think has kind of diluted the meaning of it, which Mm -hmm. inclusivity to me is like the, we're breaking the barrier between straight and plus size. So it's like actually inclusive as the term would (laughs) indicate. Um, So it's been interesting to kind of see how the industry is evolving or evolving and how inclusivity has kind of blossomed over the last so many years as well. But really I went into it because I was like, I want a place that no matter your size, you can go and get great pieces over and over again. And we update it in like a style and a a new, we have all the styles and you update it in a color and a pattern each season, which was the original idea. It's kind of evolved since then. But, um, you know, that was my original premise, I guess, with going into what has now become Poppy Row. Yeah. And there's, there's so much there. I, I do agree that they're, especially with smaller brands tend to start with like extra small through extra large and they stop at like size 16, 18, maybe 20, but yeah. rarely go beyond that, especially initially. And so then there's this divide of the brands that have um, more inclusive sizing are not really doing the same clothes in all sizes. And yep. they have like a limited collection in you know, sizes 18 and above. And so it's not, it's not the same as experience for all sizes. Yeah. Shop there. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And when I went actually into the development side of it too, it's like, I was told different things and I was like, well, why can't we start on a 16? <laughs> like this is the size of the average American woman. And we like mm-hmm. graded up and down from it. Um, and you know, how it's traditionally done is and I guess since I haven't done this, I don't know if it's normally what I've heard is people, a lot of people do it around a size six is what they'll do as their sample size. Um, and so like when you actually get up into the plus sector, you have to make additional samples. And so I kind of like reverse engineered it. (laughs) I was like, let's just try it this way. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least we'll have tried. Um, 
And I feel like that's how I've approached a lot of my business. Like, let's try it. It's like, <laughs> this is all like a science experiment a little bit for the girl who like didn't love science um, <laughs> in some ways. But, you know, I do think it's like everything you have to kind of experiment with it. And what I find so crazy to me is that like the average American woman, 67% of American women are considered plus size. And yet, you know, you have these brands that are only starting out up to a 14, they're missing out like so much of a market because even if they up, went up one or two sizes, they'd be able to encompass so many more people. Um, and this is actually interesting that we're talking about this because I've just been having this conversation a lot. I also mentor um, people through Factory 45. And nice. so I get to work, I've been working with a lot of like burgeoning designers this year, especially has been so much fun. And we have been having a lot of conversations about inclusivity. So this is like very fresh on my mind. And I think what has been interesting is just a couple of people being my mentees and being assigned to me randomly. <laughs> uh, they weren't coming into it thinking they were going to be inclusive, but after like Apparently I must be pretty passionate about this. So I'm <laughs> inspirational about it, but um, you know, we've talked about ways, how can you introduce this? Like the idea with factory 45 is that um, she sets you up to launch in pre-sales um, either through your website or through crowdfunding. I did Kickstarter and you know, there's stretch goals and Kickstarter. So that's even something we've talked about. I'm like, well, this is ways you can test it. If you know, your your campaign's going to hit a goal, like, why don't you test extending up to a 20 and a 22 as a, a stretch goal for yourself? And so these are some of the things we've been talking about, like, how can a brand, a small brand do it in a way that doesn't feel like mentally and financially burdensome for them to mm-hmm. do and just do these like small experimentations. Um, Cause I, I, I do find it so interesting. I'm like, I'm a 14, 16, somewhere in there, depending on the brand. And I'm like, I don't fit into a lot of these brands. I really want to support <laughs> And I feel like really awful being like, oh, like I'll see something. I'll be like, oh, I really wish you went. And like, I'm always like the squeaky wheel. I'm like, oh, I really wish you went up to like an 18 or something (laughs) based on your size chart. Like I can't fit into anything. And I've been surprised and like just tried stuff out from brands. And like the measurements are definitely more conservative than what, like the things actually fit me when they, (laughs) I'm expecting they won't, but you know, most of us are going to look at a size chart and be like, okay, based on these measurements, like I'm not going to fit in this or see, Mm -hmm. okay, 14. Well, I'm actually a 16. Like, I don't think this is going to work. Um, so I don't know. I think just alone, the fact that the average American woman is a 16, 18. And if you're not even going through a 16, let alone an 18, like you, you need to really, I think most brands need to reconsider this if they're starting out with that. But I'm like, clearly I could talk about this a lot (laughs) because I find it so intriguing because to me, there was never a question in my mind that we were going to go at least through a size 24 when we launched. Um, and even when we went up to a size 28, it was really interesting because I had people that were like, you can't say great style has no size because you only go through a 28. And I'm like, well, I be- this is a phrase that I have had since my styling days because it's something I believe in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's something that like, we have to start somewhere with the brand too. So I think that's like, the thing, like, I don't expect every brand to be like extremely exclu- inclusive from the beginning per se. But I think if you're not even tra- like going to fit the average American, <laughs> I think there might be something wrong there though. Like you really are missing out on so much financial opportunity that could really grow exactly. your business. Exactly. Yeah. Not only on a level of 
being able to have a larger audience and like a, a wider range of sizes that you can sell to, but getting your clothes on more to more people, but like the business value, yes, it does take more planning and logistics to order more sizes and to grade more sizes and to fit more sizes, but like you said, half the population that could be buying your clothes are beyond a lot of what brands are producing clothes for. So there's like a huge opportunity, even though there's a larger cost to it too. Yeah. Well, this is something I've discussed with people too, is the actual cost. Like I had a friend who her Kickstarter a few years ago was not meeting its goal. And I was like, well, we were just talking through it as, you know, business friends do. And I was like, well, what's actually going on? Cause I'm like, I looked at your size chart and I can't even fit into your pieces. And it was the same thing I just said to you. I'm like, I'm a 14, 16 mm-hmm. and you know, I'm right at or slightly below the average American woman. And she's like, actually, I've had a lot of family members and friends saying they can't fit in these pieces. And I was like, well, how much is it to actually not grade much. one more <laughs> that, size? That's what I do. I, I make patterns and grade patterns <laughs> exactly. for brands and the grading is relatively that's kind of like the least complicated, least expensive part of the whole process. Like if you've gotten to the point where all you need to do is add an yeah. extra size and you've already done your fit and development and samples to, you know, confirm your fit and sizing, like most of it's done at that point. Exactly. Well, and I'm like, at that point, it's, you really only have to sell like maybe two pieces mm-hmm. to make your money back at that point, depending on like who you're working with and how you're structured and everything. Um, but I always find that really funny because I'm like, well, if you're having multiple people say like, oh, I can't fit into the size. That's not why I'm supporting. Well, then offer them that size. And then if they don't buy, they don't have the I can't fit into an excuse. You'll see what was really going on and Mm -hmm. whether they're really a customer or not. And I also just am like, if it's not them, I'm sure there's people like me that were looking at this being like, oh, I really want to support. And I'd prefer to like, you know, buy a product instead of just like supporting an idea. Like I like to actually you know, where are my values? So I'm like, I want to support these brands, but then I can't because I'm looking at their size charts. And so I know that I'm not the only one <laughs> that experiment or like experiences this issue. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm just the only one that apparently <laughs> is very vocal <laughs> about it to my friends and everyone around me. But, um, you know, I know there's a lot of movement on like Instagram where a lot of influencers will like go into stores and they'll be like, you know, I want this in my size type of situation when we <laughs> yeah. went into stores more, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I do find that interesting because I know I'm not the only one talking about like, I'm not actually so vocal on social media where I go into a brand and almost like mm-hmm. publicly shame them right that like that. But I like try to have these conversations like I don't understand from like a business perspective. So like, I guess, thank God I did go to business school. So my brain thinks this way. But um I'm like, from a business perspective, like you're missing out on all this money and how much is it actually to do it? Because we always put all these excuses in our way when we want something, but is it actually an excuse or are you just not aware Mm -hmm. of what it actually takes a lot of times? And I think it's opened some people's minds up when I've had these conversations (laughs) with them. Like, okay, if you have three more, (laughs) like you have one size for three pieces or two more sizes for three pieces, whatever it is, like whatever your collection size is, like it really, it's not that crazy to me. I don't know. I just like, to me, it just seems so logical. uh, A couple, I guess like a couple years ago, like one of my clients did extend their sizes from, they had extra, extra small through extra large, and then they added up to three X and it was, it was fairly generous 
3x okay um and okay so yeah I, and I think a lot of brands are in the in the spot where they've you know like you said the fit size like I often work with fit size like 810 or a medium um as like the middle mm-hmm. because an extra small to extra large medium is the middle but so then a lot of brands right. are starting with that and then it is more difficult and it does take more samples and fit testing to go up to 3x or 5x um, from a medium because the proportions are different, right. you know, as the body grows in size. And so I think that becomes a hurdle of like, oh no, to add more sizes, then we got to add to our size chart and like redo this and figure out how to. Okay. And so that seems like such a barrier. But if you know from the start, like I'm going to do extra small through 5X, well, then you know your extra large is your middle size, you know, and fit sample and that. And then there's going to be, you know, it's far less effort than to get that full size range if you're starting from the proportions of your your average person, you know, rather than starting from a small person and having to like move up to larger sizes from there. It does make it easier if you know from the start yeah what what your what your middle is and who your average customer is yeah for sure and I think what is really interesting and is not talked about a lot is like just because you make you can make a sample and then you can pre-sell it so then you actually get the money to do the production so I'm like a really big fan even when I had my style school I didn't have I had the like structure of the foundation of the school (laughs) put together when I first launched it. But I mean, I launched around the concept and I mean, this is stuff I was using on my clients. So it wasn't completely crazy, but like, I didn't know exactly how everything was going to be in the course, but I pre-sold it and I sold to 30 people at a $600 price tag, (laughs) the first round of doing it. And so, you know, it's, I have always been a fan of pre-sales and I think it's such a, like a more nimble way to run a company. And, you know, I think that is something that if you are someone listening to me right now talking about this and you only go up to that, like large or extra large, um, and you are like, okay, how do I do this? One thing you could consider is doing, doing that sample, shooting it on someone who is actually plus size and then pre-selling it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Showing showing on your site and in your marketing and you know campaign photo shoot that like we sell like this is how it looks on somebody of different body types when I think all like as consumers and I actually know this from when I used to do like the sales side of real estate as well like people would be so bad going into apartments and visualizing what can fit in that space and why I ended up being like a top agent my Mm -hmm. third month doing it was because I would literally go in, I'd be like, okay, so what do you have for furniture? And I'd actually map it out for them. And when people can see things visually in a way that they understand it, they're more likely to say yes. And I had such a high close rate. And I think that's part of the reason besides the fact it was like honest and not sleazy, but like, (laughs) you know, I think we have a really hard time like visualizing something if it's not similar to what our experience or our body looks like. Um, And so like, that's been my struggle sometimes even with my own brand is like, I kind of came from this like personal brand aspect of things where I was like, okay, like would show styles on myself and everything back in the day. And then now I have a brand. So I was like, well, my body might not be relatable to everyone, even though I'm kind of in that (laughs) mid range of things. Um, And so it's like, I I try to have variety of like what we're showing on everyone. Um, But with the pandemic and moving forward, like 
were starting out on me for like pre-sales because that's like the safest and easiest way. I ha- like, I have a compromised immune system and I live with, you know, an aging individual. So I can't expose myself <laughs> to more mm-hmm. people, at least for the next couple of years, I'm assuming. Um, so I'm really trying, like, it's also been interesting, obviously, like I love marketing cause that's what a lot of my education's in, but, um, from like a marketing perspective, like how can you do it in the age of COVID and still like be safe? But I think if you just put it on one person or if you have like one sample and you can put on two differently proportioned people to show Mm -hmm. how it looks, I think that's really helpful. Um, And when we initially launched, I had two sizes and samples and I had like, I did so many like Facebook, Instagram lives at the time, like having my friends come over and just try on the pieces of like different heights and shapes and everything. And lo and behold, every time I would get more sales <laughs> when I was doing, it, I was like, Oh, my tall friend tries on Poppy row. And like, and I got more like the pants. People were asking a lot of questions about that. So I was like, I'm going to just have like the tallest friend I know come and try these on. And so she did. And we did a whole live and, um, you know, our pledges shot up that day. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I see that obviously replicated now and stuff, but I think the Kickstarter was like the best, like, apparently I keep saying testing. Cause I really just think it's all everything is always an experiment but like I think that was the biggest like and most effective way to like test out (laughs) a bunch of like different ways of marketing and see what actually worked um, to connect with consumers and so I think like video is really great too like if you can even send out the same sample to a couple different people in the age of COVID and have them film on their own phone like the quality is so good now with like Mm -hmm. some really basic editing tricks, you can (laughs) show the diversity of just like one sample and obviously like maybe not sending it to strangers if you only have one sample, but like, you know, friends, you know, that fit the bill, um, I think is kind of like even the direction I've been taking as of recent too. So, um, sorry, I went on a little bit of a rabbit hole with that one. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Because one of the things I was going to ask is like, how did you validate your idea and it sounds like with Kickstarter I mean you you started and did pre-sales there but did you even before that you know you kind of saw the gap in the market and knew what like you would want and what your styling clients Mm -hmm. um, were missing but how did you kind of decide your initial collection and and then get feedback on you know what size range you were going to launch with and what pieces exactly So I'm like, let's go through this piece by piece. So what, uh, how did I decide on the initial pieces? Well, I kind of had like three years of market (laughs) or like three plus years, like three years of running the style school, I would say. But um, so I had three years of running the style school of like basically like marketing experience to be like, what are people looking for that they're like, oh, I really want a great wrap dress. And then I also looked at my own wardrobe and was like, okay, what are the pieces that I really like to travel with? Like I had fibromyalgia for 15 years. Um, Mm. I know I have reversed it, but, um, which ironically happened like right after a Kickstarter, it was the weirdest year that year. (laughs) I like validate my business, like my brand, put it into production. And like in the middle of production, I'm going through these like intense treatments to like make myself not have chronic pain. But like For me, I also, I wanted all these pieces that I had, but I wanted them to be like super comfortable and work with me if I was traveling or if I had some sort of flare up and, you know, because of the widespread chronic pain issues, you know, most Americans have some issue. Um, I knew that like, I wanted to make sure things feel 
felt comfortable. Little did I know we'd be like living in athleisure three, four I years know. later. Now that's all we wear is comfortable <laughs> yeah. stuff. But, you know, I did do part of what um, Shannon took me through in Factory 45. Like it's still how she has the curriculum. Um, and like, you know, the one big thing is like, I went into my closet and I figured out what pieces I really liked. And so I started just sketching them and I started to realize um, I had gone into factory 45 with two ideas. I was like, I kind of want to have like a fashion forward, but like sustainable and ethical, um, like fashion forward brands, clothing brand. I don't know exactly what it looks like. And I'm like, and then I also have this idea that came to me in design school when I was half naked in a bathroom that I want to have like a two piece jumpsuit that like interchanges. <laughs> um, and so I like drew the two-piece romper and then as I'm looking at like the tops and bottoms of the pieces I wanted to create I was like wait like the tops and the bottoms kind of all can mix and match and so that's where this idea of modular came for me um for initial like five pieces we introduced I called it the fab five collection at the time and yes because you know who doesn't want to look fab in these five pieces Mm -hmm. um and it was great you could mix and match thing like modular has been around for like five or six hundred years um it's something that back, I believe, in the Middle Ages, I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I believe it was the Middle Ages that women would actually sew different like sleeves and things onto their clothing and kind of mix and match to, you know, change up their style. And so this is an idea that has evolved over the last several centuries, which I didn't realize at the time when I'm like, I would just like to not get naked in the bathroom um, every time I have a romper on. But... <laughs> I like started, I just started sketching and I was like, these are the pieces I want. And then I had this, like, you know, everything came to clarity moment um, where I was like, oh, could I actually like have this down to like, I think I really initially designed like seven pieces. Um, and that's basically what we did end up like we have seven pieces now. Um, and so we expanded once the Kickstarter was done, I added two, two more pieces. Um, so how I decided on the seven pieces, I think was like part, part intuition combined with what I all just explained of just like knowing what my consumers and not even my consumers, my clients that I had worked with wanted and needed in their closets and couldn't find combined with like seeing all these pieces that were staples that I had curated over the years and realizing like, actually, like, it's not about all these individual pieces. What if we could do something where it works around this like two piece romper idea and then it like evolved, which was so weird. I'm like, I didn't even know modular was like a term for clothing. I think of it like with furniture or things like that, but Mm -hmm. it is actually a thing. Um, And then as far as like validating the idea, um, as I kind of mentioned before, like I'm a big fan of pre-sales. It's still like we are about to launch body suits in the next week. And that's something that I'm also, um, we're, we're doing pre-sales and that's how we're actually going to be selling the collection. And, um, you know, for me, I have personally funded this whole line myself. And I did also take a small loan from a family member after I had the Kickstarter, but that was after the idea was validated. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, have been able to, and in the fortunate position to focus on this, full-time um and really allow myself to grow the brand and really be in it 24 7 which sometimes Mm -hmm. is almost too much because you're like two in it um 
but you know, I think the Kickstarter was so great because I raised 32,000, um, through that in 30 days That's great. and yeah. And then it was great because I had 150 people. We sent, you know, over 500 pieces. The average person was purchasing like three pieces in the Kickstarter ultimately, which is pretty cool. Um, our fab five capsule with the five pieces sold, it was like, it, brought in the most amount of money, obviously, because there's five pieces, but also, you know, I, I asked like, and did some like qualitative research with friends and family after I'm like, what actually, like, why did you buy this? And my one friend, she had come to our launch party and I showed how all the pieces could work together. And she was like, you know, I knew I was going to come in and support you. Like you're <laughs> one of my best friends. Like we hang out all the time. Like there was no way I was not going to buy something, but she was like, I realized like how great and how useful all these pieces were. And I think obviously I have to credit my styling background for <laughs> having <laughs> that aspect to be able to explain and show. Um, and I, like, that was my thing in design school. The Italians were like, you always think of the finished pre product. I'm like, yeah, cause I'm a stylist. I'm not, not thinking about the whole design process. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how does this work in my wardrobe? Which was like a blessing and a curse, I think at the end of the day. Um, but I think mostly like a blessing um, because it really allowed me to, when I saw this modular idea um, to realize like, actually, I think this could work. And then, you know, I'm getting, I got this feedback through the Kickstarter from friends and family that like they, and this one friend I'm, was talking about in particular, like that she felt so compelled. She was like, I can use these pieces so much that it was like the cost per wear for her was like, she was like, it's going to be so low. I really love this idea. And, you know, these are pieces that can work with like things I already have in my wardrobe. Um, and that was kind of the story I kept getting <laughs> from multiple people. I even had a set of friends that purchased the capsule together and then bought an extra pair of the pants. So they both had the pants and then one, um, they like kind of mixed and matched the other pieces for themselves. And I thought that was like such a cool idea. Like, Oh, you get a capsule, but like you can split it amongst <laughs> friends. Yeah. So like to see like these different behaviors was like so fascinating to me through the Kickstarter. Um, and I think for me, I was also able to test out like, okay, what, like a Kickstarter is a different thing to market to. Like it takes a very different strategy. I will tell you that, but it's really great because I mean, I had done a ton of launches in my previous business um, with the style school. So I knew what it took to do a launch, but selling like a physical product that is like, okay, you're going to have to wait six months for this is like a little bit of a different sell. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't, I didn't know like what exactly <laughs> was going to work for this as far as marketing, like Shannon, everything she told me through factory 45 was the stuff that worked. And then I used some other things that I experimented with that some did and some didn't work out well, but it allowed me to kind of have this 30 days to really test like what marketing things do I really like doing and what do I like doing and works mm -hmm. and then I kind of knew when I went and took out a small loan from a family member to put towards some marketing, I was able to say like, okay, you know, me doing live videos was really effective. So, you know, this is what I want to do. So I want to allocate like this amount to like video ads or, you know, video production, whatever it was. Um, and I don't know, I'm just like such a nerd about all the Kickstarter, like 
it's really like it is truly like a journey <laughs> like a true journey um I didn't want to say a battle because that's like seems very extreme but like it's a true journey um doing a kickstarter it is not super easy people don't just come flooding through kickstarter especially not anymore you have to bring a lot of people into it and I had built an audience over the years so I think that definitely helped contribute to my success because people were with me as I was like, I'm dropping the not so skinny phrase and I'm going to design school in Italy and we'll see what happens. <laughs> like, you know, I had this whole proclamation on YouTube and, you know, it was, people felt a part of the adventure. And, you know, I think a lot of people at one point or another want to be a fashion designer, or at least my friends. And so I know a lot of my friends who were also entrepreneurs were like, you know, I feel like I'm living out my dream through supporting you. And it's, it's fun. I think like I was able to share with people along the way. So I was also just consistently getting some feedback too. like, you know, I put it into our Instagram stories. Well, I guess it wasn't stories at the time, but like our Instagram feed. Um, and I would put things, I was like, okay, we're looking at fabrics. Like they're, what colors do you like? And people would pop in. Like, I like the pink, I like the red, I like the black, whatever it is. So I was able to do that along with like doing some surveys where I was really I knew going into the Kickstarter as much as I was like, okay, I hope this like really does okay. <laughs> I also felt like it was more of an educated <laughs> guess of an experiment. Like I had listened to people, I read their feedback. And then I also could ask questions. Like I had this idea for the two piece jumpsuit. So I like, I think I asked a question like what's um, something to the effect of like, what's your biggest frustration with jumpsuits or something? Mm -hmm. And so I got so much feedback. So I was able to use that and put that into some of my copy and some of our video, um, like kind of like my monologue or whatever it's called that I was like my voice over there. We go. <laughs> my voice over in the video, I was able to put some of those pain points within it as well and not just speak from my own experience, but speak to the people um, that had, given me their feedback along the way as well. Yeah, and that's so key, I think, to really listen to what the customers want, what their pain points are, and then design for that. And it sounds like your yeah. background as a stylist really helped with that because you already knew what people's challenges were addressing themselves. Is, is that accurate? I mean, I think so. I think that is still something I consider um, part of the brand, even though I'm not necessarily actively styling anymore um, and taking, like I'm not like taking on personal styling clients anymore or doing many commercial jobs, at least at this point. Um, and I mean, like I style for Poppy Row now <laughs> is basically how I think of it, but I still like see everything through the lens of a stylist. Like it, it's like this part that is glued to me that I think will never go away. So I do find it funny when I see people like do a style quiz or whatever. And I'm like, you would do this so differently if you were a stylist. <laughs> Cause I think it just like really affects how I see the world and how I see clothing and experience clothing. And I just, it's from a very different perspective. And because I have this very like formal training working in Hollywood and in New York city, and even I guess my background probably working in marketing on Madison Avenue. Like I think all of that really influenced how I saw the final product and then also how I was like developing developing things along the way with kind of keeping the consumers engaged um even if I had like literally nothing except like a vision and a dream yeah so what 
what were some of those things where like when you were designing your first collection like these are the must-haves of like all your experience um says like this this is what you should go for work towards i mean it sounds like the size inclusivity was one of those things but um were there other things that you knew going into designing like this is this is what you knew you needed to do yeah i mean i think there's a few things like one obviously the inclusivity to me was front and center i think then learning more even when i was at design school um i watched the true cost Mm -hmm. one night um, at my apartment and I was like mind blown. I knew stuff, but I didn't know that much stuff about, you know, really what the, um, apparel industry does to mother earth. And so I had already, I had already known I was going to apply to factory 45 the next year because I knew this design program was not going to show me how to launch the line. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately. So yeah. And it worked out that like, I was like, cool. I like the, like, you know, sustainability, ethical impact, what um, aspect of things. And what I was actually really committed to was actually made in America like that. I feel like even before I knew all the statistics and all of the stuff about how much um, has really gone offshore in the last couple decades, I I was really committed to that. Like I grew up in upstate New York um, near Albany um, and it's where I am now, actually, <laughs> because of the pandemic, I kind of got stuck here, I guess. Um, but it's also like my safe, happy place. But what I really saw growing up is a lot of these, like the impact of going overseas and what it does to the local economy. And I really felt like seeing my grandfather take such pride in his employees and being able to employ people through his business. It was really important for me to be able to have it in America. Besides the fact, like as much as I love traveling internationally, I was like, oh, this will be so much easier too for travel. I don't have to like go to Asia or like Europe, which like is a nice excuse probably to add a vacation on top of it. But, um, or at least it would be for me knowing myself, but like for me, it was, I was able to keep it more local. And I mean, because I was living in LA when we started the brand, I was able to drive downtown whenever I needed to, to go check on production I knew everybody's names. They knew me. It was like my second home. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm like very comfortable in downtown LA because of all that time I spent there, especially at the beginning of um, all of our production. And so that like, clearly like the made in America was like really important to me. It was why I sold my house in New York and moved to LA was so I could be near production too, actually. And that was before I even had a name or the products or anything. I was like, I'm moving to LA and starting my line after I'd have just been in Italy. I had a very like profound year, apparently. Um, I also, that's, that's a big leap. I mean, I think everybody thought I was insane. It was like, (laughs) I just purchased a house two years before and it was like super cute. I made it my own. And then I was like, so, um, you know, I came back from Italy and, um, I'm going to go to LA for a month for like some clients or whatever. And I came back and I'm like, so I'm moving to LA again, (laughs) which I like lived there for a period of time when I was working on like a lot of the celebrity styling aspect of things. And, you know, I moved there specifically at first to work on Taylor Swift's team, but you know, it's, I wasn't like, it's, there's some part of me that like loves LA, but I was like, I'm like, I'm not committed to living here forever, but I'm committed to moving here to start this line. Cause I'm committed to the line. Um, I think also like to some of the things that went into my initial foundation. So, you know, obviously inclusivity made in America, 
Um, ethical production is something that I became more passionate about through Factory 45, I think, and just, you know, some of more of the research. And as I started to immerse myself more, I really started to realize how much it was a feminist issue as well with how many women are employed in the fashion industry. And if we're wanting equality, we need to have that on a pay level as well. Um, and so for me, whether it's a man or a woman, I think we all should have a fair and livable wage. So that was also obviously something that started to become important to me as I created everything. And then I think kind of the, what I think is the last part of it is, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I had a chronic pain condition since I had been in high school. And um, for me, I really wanted stuff that was comfortable and breathable and could just like work with myself as a human function, trying to like mm -hmm. function in this world. Um, and I think also like being on set a lot, I wanted pieces like I always, and I had started to evolve my own wardrobe into a way that it was like super comfortable and transitional. And I think as I started to work from home more with the style school. I wanted stuff that like I could be working on my sofa. And then like, if a friend called me to lunch, I could like look nice and go out and meet them wherever, whatever city or town I was living in and just have this like easy transition from like couch to coffee or dinner, whatever it was. Um, and so for me, that really came down to comfort, but I wanted it in a way that still felt fashion forward um, and not like, I'm wearing like oversized baggy gym clothes because I like waists on things, personal preference. Um, mm -hmm. So I think those are some of the main things for me. And I really also like, I love color and patterns. And so that was something that I did want, but I did realize through the initial production process that, um, and this, like, we're kind of in this transition now. So we're getting to what I like, I feel like I've always wanted, which is like patterns and we've integrated, we're integrating dead stock and things like that now. But, um, I had to also make this decision that I was actually going to start out with like some more, I guess, basic pieces where it was like, we have our signature black and like our more limited run of our pink and which is called fabulous fuchsia and our red poppy red. Um, and that was kind of our pop instead of having patterns. And so how I kind of like made up for that in the visuals is like, I'll have like black and white stripes in the background or like polka dots, which is very much my aesthetic and maybe reads a little Kate Spade sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But it, like it was, that was an interesting decision I had to kind of make in the beginning when I was first launching to like have a short term win to get to a longer term goal. So, you know, last summer, um, summer 2019. So um, I started experimenting more with dead stock. Um, so our bodysuit collection um, actually has some like dead stock mesh in it. Um, and we're also like integrating dead stock sequins into our hangover pants, which had become like our runaway bestseller success. Um, and so that's been fun because it has a little bit more of that like fun glam personal style aspect <laughs> that like I wasn't mm -hmm. enabled initially able to integrate in. And now that we've kind of validated everything, I've been able to now, um, we're going to be putting out patterns, hopefully in the next few months. And, you know, I'm literally looking at our samples <laughs> right now of some of our first prints. Um, and so that's been really fun to kind of experiment with like 
this kind of whole new level of things. So it's like, you know, I kind of laid the foundation and then I was like, okay, this is a longer term goal. So what's next? Okay. Dead stock. Like this goes to the environmental impact that I feel like was part of the brand foundation. And then I was like, but I'm also missing like the texture. <laughs> like I was adding that in with other pieces and I wanted some of that. And I'm like, our fabric's so freaking comfortable. Like we need to have some prints. <laughs> so I'm very excited about that. And we've also experimented with different like dye options. So we like haven't quite perfect perfected it, but we've been working on like kind of almost like dye, tie dye type washes and ways we can kind of add some fun elements to like the initial basics of what we, we started out with. So that might been, have been a little more than you asked for, but <laughs> no, actually you answered some of the other questions. Awesome. Ask, so <laughs> it's perfect. Um, it sounds like you have like a lot of exciting things coming. Um, so, and you mentioned kind of moving towards an end goal. So yeah. do you want, can you talk a little bit more about like, what is the end goal for Poppy Row or what, what are you working towards with um, the new pieces that are coming out or even your marketing and kind of your mission. Yeah. Like I actually, what has been interesting is when I started the brand, I never intended to abandon my style school, but um, because of the fibromyalgia and I started to get some vertigo, right? Like it was actually probably this time, <laughs> like we're speaking, it's like October. It was like fall of mm -hmm. like 2017 or something. I started getting really bad vertigo. And so I decided to put the style school on hold and now it's kind of been like three years later and I haven't done anything with the style school. I never intended to abandon it. And I kind of just went full force into the brand. And so one thing that I've been coming back to recently, um, or at least it was earlier this year, but this pandemic has made things go by a little faster, I guess. Um, I know. It's like, what time is what, what day is it? Like every even... day is Groundhog's Day or something, but mm -hmm. One thing is just this idea that it's actually not just about the clothing brand. It's about body neutrality and personal empowerment and how are, how am I fitting this into my brand? I think clothing is just one part of a larger mission, but even within the clothing realm, like we're integrating dead stock. That's something that has been like so exciting to me to go into these places, um, like rag finders and Los Angeles. And even just like, I haven't been to fab scrap in New York, but, um, I do obsessively check their website and Instagram. I know, me too. Yeah. I wish I was in New York to visit. Yeah. Like I, it's funny. Cause of course, when I had come to New York, it was like, right. Like right when I would have gone there is when the pandemic started. So like, I was not going to mm -hmm. New York city. I was like in my upstate New York bubble and I'm still okay with that. Um, but you know, like they have those warehouse days where you can go and sort through fabric. And I believe you get fabric for volunteering. Um, and so mm -hmm. I've always like, been like, okay, that's the thing I'm going to do next. But I, I love, like, I loved last year before I come back to New York. Um, I loved going and just like spending hours in the warehouse. It was so inspirational. It was like the spark. I didn't know I needed it. Like <laughs> almost like brought me back to life again. Um, and so that has been really exciting. And because I had already been there, um, my kind of like design and development partner who is still in LA was actually able to go and source some more dead stock for me in person and sent me like this beautiful layout of all these options and organized it all for me. Um, so that's like more stuff that I'm hoping to do kind of in the future. And then obviously prints to me is a big thing. Um, one thing that I have really wanted to do, and I'm starting to work on this as of like literally last week, 
was working with female artists and taking their art and making it into prints. Um, and I, nice. I know like, you know, a lot of people work with artists to do their prints, but I was like, I really wanted to do this thing where I could feature different artists and I don't want to give anybody this idea to steal from me, but whatever, we'll all do it in our own unique way. I have an abundance mindset, but, um, I'm going to start working with, um, one of my friends. So that's something that I'm hoping maybe we can start to test out in 2021. Um, and then kind of like the last thing from a clothing side is, um, the production model. Like, I'm sure you deal with this a lot too, but like the model is broken (laughs) of like, Mm -hmm. you know, doing hundreds of pieces. And when you have 14 sizes, that's like, that's a lot of inventory. Yes. And so that has been my biggest learning curve. I don't even know if it was a learning curve. It was like just realization (laughs) through this whole process. I'm like, there has to be a better way. And I, um, since like, even before we launched the Kickstarter, when I was interviewing factories and I like traveled to like different cities too. Cause I'm like, well, maybe LA is not the end all be all. Um, I was trying to look for some like social mission type places. So I traveled to a few places and like either they were too small or they couldn't do so many sizes. And like, but there were always limitations. And I'm like, I really want to start my own like made on demand <laughs> facility or something. And it's funny. Cause I put there's, there's one factory that I've worked with, with several clients in the U S that does that on demand. Yeah. So we're, and, but it's unusual. It's very unusual. And so I have actually thrown this out to people a couple of times, um, just within like some small designer groups. And I had so many people interested in taking part in it. Um, and I also had people like reaching out being like, I'd actually be interested in investing in this too. And they were like other designers. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Oh, wow. But <laughs> What I've come to this year is um, I started to realize like with having to hold the, you know, expansive inventory I do because of our sizes, like that's actually not what I want. Like, that's not what I wanted. (laughs) Like I wanted someone else to be able to fulfill things, but because of our size range, like every place I checked out didn't work. And my dad's a logistics expert. So like, let me tell you, he was helping me (laughs) and maybe some things have come on the market since three years ago, but it was not there then. Um, And also just kind of looking at things, you know, I want people to be able to have pieces that feel really special and like, you know, Poppy Row, the name came from me in a meditation. And I asked myself where in the world is it I want every woman to feel when she steps into a piece of my clothing. And I saw my family's lake house, which is like my happy place. And my grandfather, my Poppy had just passed away and I felt his presence next to me. And I saw our sign, which said music row. And then I like put the two together. I was like, wait, poppy row. Like it just clicked. (laughs) And, you know, poppy was a woman who's both beautiful, intelligent. She has that Audrey and that Marilyn side of her. She's not like compromising to be one or the other. And I think part of that is through the clothes we're wearing that makes us have that like great, like grounded feeling that we can go and take on the world. Um, But with that, it's like, we don't want to be, uh, replica and be like, I hate to say it like basic and be like every other woman out there. And so part of what I think that really comes down to is having more limited things, working with the dead stock. And I think the way to do that in an inclusive way um, or size inclusive way is through more of the made on demand options where we'll be able to like click quickly, like switch out, you know, 50 yards here or there of what we're finding, you know, in LA or New York. Um, So 
what I'm hoping, and we're in talks with this one facility, and I'm wondering if it's the same one um, in the South to do um, made on demand and actually switching things over to it. So that to me might be a, the bigger part of my vision and in a way that allows me my personal goals of like <laughs> location freedom and, mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to have it really just not be wasteful and not like, I hate to say weigh me down, but like, that's literally what this inventory can feel like sometimes and just have it yeah. be more, you know, like what we're kind of transitioning the site into right now is um, we're going to be relaunching it in 2021. And um, I had a style quiz back in the day. So what I'm really hoping we can do is like, you can literally customize your capsule from our pieces. Cause we've developed 20 pieces while we've been like hanging out during the pandemic <laughs> and um, be able to make your own customized capsules. And then we'll be able to work with people and give them seasonal updates, which kind of goes to some of that like beginning ideas um but a little more evolved yeah that's a really cool idea thanks thank you I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad someone outside of my team thinks it's a good idea um you know I think especially this goes back to me being a personal stylist and having that cap on always um and having worked with like thousands of people over these last so many years it's you know we all need some basic things, but there's ways we can add these personality pieces into everything. So I've really been working on like, how do we fit into this bigger vision I have of like body neutrality and then loving our bodies and having more representation in the world that goes beyond clothing, but then also like within the clothing system, how am I being the change within this into like not working on those traditional models or even the small batch models are really hard if I'm trying to be inclusive in ways mm -hmm. that's like one or two pieces per size. And that's not really super great. Cause then, you know, I'm out of all my mid range sizes of like 12, 14, 16, 18, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, I don't know. It's just, it creates a little bit of a mess sometimes as far as ordering. Um, and so at least this will like, I'm hoping it will allow me to be more nimble. Um, so I guess stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> we'll see what yeah. happens. That That's all super exciting. So I'll be looking forward to seeing what you come up with. And I'm all, I'm very much into the color and print too. So yeah. Well, and that's the problem, like in the ethical space is like, I look at all these other people. It's a lot of basics. Yeah. And, and I was like, even though our pieces look slightly different, like, I think I was really inspired when we first did everything to have more like draping and things like that. Um, a lot of what I'm seeing are like, it's the same thing as far as like color options. I mean, I think we have a couple brighter colors, which has helped help to stand out at first. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bored by everything. I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> I guess I like texture and like movement and excitement. And I don't feel like I get that from like black and white. So yeah, for sure. So I have one more question for you, which I ask everyone at the end. Um, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through your clothes, what would it be? You are loved. I think is just, yeah, that affirmation. We are all loved. And I think especially my own journey of like growing up and not feeling good in my, my body, which then the clothing was like a further affirmation of that. If we can just all feel like I am loved, you are loved, like it doesn't matter what your size is. I just want people to feel good about themselves and know they're loved. So yeah, so true. That's what it is. <laughs> this has been such a great conversation. 
where can people find out more about you and Poppy Row online? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can all go to our site, poppyrow.com. Um, I love me some Instagram. So we're at hello poppy row. We've also been putting a lot of effort um, and especially, I guess this is my styling cap on Pinterest. And so you can check us out at poppy row style on Pinterest. YouTube is also poppy row style. Um, Facebook is hello poppy row. So um, I kind of have broken up it based on how we're like curating mm -hmm. the platforms. Um, but we are actually in the next couple of months, I'm going to be introducing my YouTube channel again. I have put it on like a three to four year hiatus <laughs> accidentally. Um, you know, things happen. So if you guys stay tuned, like, and if you have questions you want to ask, I'm going to also be answering some more things, especially because I am a trained life coach. And so it's been really fun mentoring people. Um, I'm going to be sharing more like behind the scenes of like building clothing brands and answering some questions. So if you're one of those people that have some questions, I'd love, please DM me on Instagram. <laughs> I'd love to answer any questions you guys might have that I didn't answer here on my YouTube. So that will be really fun <laughs> to generate awesome. some more questions. I don't have to come up with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I will put the links to all those in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was such a ple pleasure chatting with you today. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Hainis, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.